Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Oh, welcome to the Book Riot Podcast. <laughs> We're recording on Thursday, July 2nd, 2020. You'll be hearing this sometime after this time. We're both very ready for the weekend. I was just saying to Rebecca that July 4th is the Saturday of the year. And so it's it's the even though it's Thursday, it is the Friday of the year right now. Um, I'm drinking a grapefruit seltzer like an animal. Mm. Uh, the wheels are really coming off here, uh, <laughs> Pumple to some moose. degree. <laughs> yeah, pumplemousse. It's a great <laughs> word. Um, and we're we're bringing you news about the world of books and reading, and our also just particular interests. I guess that's that's the parentheses yep. that always applies. Hello and welcome. This uh, is how podcasts to, to work. This, to this is going on here. Um, before we get into the news of the week, let's take a quick sponsor break, and, and we'll come back. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Welcome to the Snapple Market Auditory Experience. Close your eyes. Imagine you're walking into your neighborhood store. You make your way to the back and reach for your favorite Snapple flavor. You can't wait. You take a sip. Whoa, that's a lot of flavor. Mmm. What flavor are you holding? Now open your eyes and check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavorful Snapple near you. Not on the agenda, Rebecca, but I think we have to at least talk for a minute about... We haven't had a Trump book-related talk in a while. It's not on the agenda. Mm -hmm. Um, But a couple things. John Bolton's book has been out now long enough to get a week's worth of sales, and the numbers are huge. 780,000 copies sold in the first week, and I believe that's print alone, Mm. which dwarfs the the best-selling book of the year so far. Um, which is Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes, which is down to around 50,000 so copies a week, which is no nothing to sneeze at, but down from what, like, was 500K or so, I think? that I think so, we yeah. Talked about, mm-hmm. Somewhere in that regard. So we had talked about, I don't remember which book it was, maybe the, the not the Comey book, but um, uh, maybe the Woodward book. Mm-hmm. We're like, what? what is the appetite for these things going forward? And the Bolton book, because he was National Security Advisor and because... He was a Trump kind of guy, and a we, you know, he's a an Iran a war hawk in a lot of different ways, and he's got a mustache that makes him look like he's going to be a little, you know, a little forthcoming. I guess you know, it's it's an honest mustache. He comes by an it's honest, an honest um, mustache. <laughs> uh, and he had some, you know, he he. T- look, I'm not here to praise or denigrate Bolton. I think you could do both at this moment based on timing and whatever else went on. But there's some truth bombs dropped by this Warhawk. Uh, you know, I think there's, you know, there's so much to say about mm-hmm. the guy, right? The, it's hard to know where to pick. 
But the one that I'm holding on to now is being, of course, I mean, oh my God, but of course is not knowing that Finland wasn't part of Russia was one right. of the nuggets in there. God. Like that you'd lose a geography bee to a fourth grader and yet you were Also, the can the presidential debates now include a geography bee? Yeah, I mean, just... Um, and then a whole bunch of other stuff from Bolton coming out. And people were, I guess the the thing I'm saying is in terms of our world, the A... <laughs> the the non consider we don't we're not super interested in the the overtly capital P political books generally speaking mm, though mm-hmm. you know we believe and know that all books and reading are political but the overtly political stuff we tend not to pay that too too much attention to and we haven't for a while as we as we've gotten through a really you know a, a really I don't know tall wave of Trump books and we've had a bit of a a lull and this one came out and people were ready and I guess yeah. that I, I don't know if there's anything else to say but I just thought it was notable I wondered how it was going to sell and it's selling. It is notable. I had a lot of uh, like question marks in my eyes about mm-hmm. how the Bolton book was going to sell because I also saw quite a bit of coverage, which I really appreciated from publications that were like, here are all the things you really need to know from the John Bolton yes. book. We're telling yes. you so you don't go spend money on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, with the message being like, this kind of information is actionable or could have been actionable at one point, some of it. And like, he should have released it and reported some of these things in a way that would have allowed those actions to take place rather than waiting to put it in a book and profit on it. Um, and we've I've seen like versions of that framing happen around a lot of these things about like it's, you know, much more responsible to just release the information in a way that like early and in a way that it can be addressed. Um, and also I've seen more folks talking about holding publishers responsible for not mm. giving people these kinds of book deals. Like let's not incentivize political insiders who have really critical information to keep those secrets until the book comes out. This is not good citizenship. So I was really wondering about how deeply that message had penetrated and if it was going to impact Bolton's book sales. I know um, several indie bookstores are not only not stocking it, but are refusing to order it for customers. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's been a while since I've heard something like that. So I was wondering how it was going to sell. This is a surprise to me um, that the numbers are, are that high. And I would say if you want the information and you're listening to this podcast, you can definitely Google your way to all the nuggets that you need. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, anyway, I, I'm not sure. Uh, if you're going to be a whistleblower, blow that whistle. You know, yeah. Don't, don't, don't get the multi-million dollar book contract, wait two years. You know, get, get that stuff under oath. Um, to some exactly. The related one, and I find this one much more sort of palace intriguey, is this mm-hmm. book about from uh, Mary Trump, who is Donald Trump's niece. So it's Mary L. Trump. Um, there's a bunch. Of, Mary Trump is the fam- uh, the family matriarch, and there's a Mary and a Marianne. So it's a little hard to keep track. Um, and I feel the grosser I, the longer the longer I spend looking at the Trump family, too, sort of the grosser I feel. So I try not to spend too much time <laughs> doing it. But she has this tell-all book that's coming out. Simon & Schuster is publishing it. Um, there is a cease and, a pre-publication cease and desist, which it's a little hard to parse the differences between these different things. You know, the Bolton book was national security, but it had been vetted. That was more of a, seemed like kind of a nuisance thing of like, you know, oh, please, you know, getting, getting the saber rattle, right? But keep mm-hmm. the, the saber in the sheath. This one actually was temporarily blocked by a judge. Basically, the argument is whether or not the contents or some of the contents violated a 1999 NDA that was put into place when Fred Trump died, um, Donald Trump's father. 
and a judge today ruled that it can go ahead. I'm not sure exactly what's going to happen here right now. Um, but there's a struggle here. And this one feels like there might be stuff we we haven't heard. Um, or maybe we wouldn't expect necessarily. I don't know what's in this that might be so explosive that a judge said it could block it. Also, let me just say this. If when you die, your whole family has to sign an NDA. <laughs> That's where I you, was headed. <laughs> you did your life wrong. You yeah. failed. You lost. Yeah. Game over. That's not good. If, you don't want to end up there. Yeah. If your family has a routine practice of NDAs inside the family, like you you have a yeah. family culture problem. Right. Um, the book is scheduled to come out Jan- July 28th. So we're just a few weeks away from that. Um, the will was contested in probate court claiming that Fred was suffering from dementia so that he couldn't do this other thing. And part of that settlement was some sort of NDA. Um, and Donald, I know you're going to be surprised, a bad look for Donald on how he behaved <laughs> around there. I know that's a shock. <laughs> so anyway, they're, they're coming hot and heavy here. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if we get a few more in the run-up to the election. I don't know what less, lets up in the chamber to fire from these books. I don't know who has a book coming out. I don't know what, if it matters at this point. Um, so anyway, there we are. Yeah, it definitely feel. I mean, it feels to me like it doesn't matter. Like if something salacious about his behavior were going to like convert the base to not wanting to vote for him, I kind of feel like it would have happened already. And my, I don't know, I don't, not even sure if it's ungenerous. I have big questions as you were getting at about like, what could be in this? Like, what are the big bombs that they want so badly to not have out there? And it could be like that it's just embarrassing, you know, like that he's very sensitive to embarrassing yeah, image, right. imagey kinds of things and not nearly sensitive enough to like, you don't understand how to actually have national security. <laughs> you know. Also, he's a, he's like the most embarrassing person ever. I mean, there's that. I mean, right. I, I, I like, right. Really? You're worried about being embarrassed and you still, this is what you choose to be? Right. I don't, yeah. I don't know it's, how to handle that. I was most interested in that there actually was that temporary injunction against mm-hmm. it. And I was curious about what was going on there. Then relieved to see like the book will be coming out and not prevented from coming out for right. reasons of protecting the president. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm not sure about the ruling about holding it or releasing it. It has anything to do with the NDA or not, because mm. my understanding is the NDAs generally are not enforceable by a civil court, just that there are penalties associated. Like, if you spill yeah. the beans, it's going to cost you this, right? right. Um, anyway, I'm just looking at the Wikipedia page here, and apparently <laughs> they're, they're, um, the, the, that Donald and Mary fell out because... When Fred died, uh, their initial move, the siblings' move, was to yank the health care coverage um, from Fred III's son, William, who was an 18-month-old with epileptic spasms. So taking away health care coverage from an 18-month-old, I mean, you think it doesn't get worse, and yet here we are. Um, we, we just scrape, The bottom of the barrel has been scraped out, and now we're into the foundation of the building in which the barrel is kept with this stuff. So <laughs> that's Wikipedia. Go sue Thank them. you for looking at that so I didn't have to. Yeah. Well, I hope you looked at something else later in the show that I didn't look at because I can't take it. And you know what I'm talking about. I do, and I did. So we're even. <laughs> all right. Um, do we want to do, do we want to get this all out? Like, do we want to do we want to purge the disgusting or what? Yeah. How are we do this. Well, let's do a break. Let's do a sponsor okay. break. Kind of shake it off and come back because this one. It's not as bad as this, but we're not happy to see this, I guess is what I'm trying to try. 
We'll come back after this sponsor. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Oh, Jeff. I'm, I'm sorry I think... that you're not drinking something stronger than a pomplamoose right now. Well, here's, here's the thing is... Let's say this is about Dan Brown, and it's not as bad as it could be. It's on the... Well, you tell me. This is my sense of it. I still don't know how to feel about Dan Brown. I still don't know if, they, if um, Da Vinci Code 2 came out tomorrow. Here's, that's, that, there it is, Rebecca. If Da Vinci Code mm. 2 came out tomorrow, are you picking up Da Vinci Code? Before you tell me anything else about it, I where are you know. right now? I don't know. It's not a hard no. It's not a hard no, at least. That's what I'm at it's least. It's not, not a hard no. no. This is the kind of information that I don't want to have about anybody because yep. I don't really think it's my business. There you and go. Okay. Yep. We only have this information because Dan Brown is a famous person and this is mm-hmm. on a big scale, but it's the like this is very human garden variety stuff that humans do to each other. Um, so buckle in, friends. Dan Brown's ex-wife is suing him, um, claiming that he engaged in unlawful and egregious conduct during their final years of marriage. The allegations include that he secretly siphoned off large amounts of money in order to conduct extramarital affairs, including with a Dutch horse trainer to whom he allegedly gifted a $345,000 horse. $345,000, a new car, a horse transport truck, and apartment renovations. And that was not the only affair that she is alleging. Um, she also alleges that he used their joint assets for affairs with a political official and his personal trainer, which, come on, Dan Brown, that is the most cliche thing to do ever. Just be better than that. <laughs> like, step out with someone who's not your personal trainer. And that he hid upcoming projects from her based on novels that the couple had created together. Dan Brown says that the claims in the lawsuit are false. I am just disappointed. Like, this is my disappointed face in Dan Brown. You know, like, he's a human. Humans do things. But Mm -hmm. it felt very good to read those books and be like, this is coming from the mind of someone who's just, like, kind of pure in ways. You know, like, there's this pure... Delight. Well, look, in... he's the human embodiment of pleated khakis. That's what we think. <laughs> about right. And clearly, he's not the human embodiment. Well, that's not true. Lots of pleated khaki humans also cheat on their spouses, allegedly, yes. and right. conduct affairs and steal money. So it's not like that's reserved for fancy. No, but I'm just saying people. it's, it's, it's kind of square. It's kind of safe. Yeah, he's, it's kind he of nothing, really. Vanilla in a very pleasant right. way. Yeah. And. It was comforting, and I am, you know what, in the middle of 2020, like, I'm just kind of upset that the Dan Brown comfort is not even something I can rely on. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, <laughs> you're right. This is, we talked about this in different settings. I think especially while Me Too was coming around, like, mm-hmm. there's ways in which people misbehave that's misbehavior and not 
felonious, right? That's not criminal. Right. That's not assault. By what we can tell here, these were consensual relationships. Um, there's power dynamics, of course, but there's always power dynamics. They weren't his students or, you know, patients or, you know, anything else like that. Um, he's Don draper it, for lack of a better term, it yeah, sounds like. like. Like, this is Don yeah. Draper stuff. Right. If the allegations are true, he's another person who cheated on their yeah. spouse and hid it. Which most people do, right? <laughs> which, mo- right like, which most people do. Right. Like Blythe Brown did not consent to this situation. Yeah. But right. Like statistically, more people who are married than not are doing this in some way, shape or form at some point in their marriage. Like this is uh, it's common mm-hmm. and it should not be in the news. Like this is someone's private business. I guess then maybe we, we shouldn't be talking about it, except I'm very disappointed because it it changes what the experience of Dan Brown would be yep. like for me. Yep. Um, yep. I'm glad that there's not like a big Dan Brown book coming out this fall. And now I have to immediately decide about it. I think I just might need to be on a break from Dan Brown. But like if I go and look at my bookshelf, and assume that Ugh. all of the authors of those books are also just humans. More of them than not have done something on the scale mm. of this. Um, and I, I just don't have the energy to ca- to care about that, I think, is where I'm at. I actually, I think I just talked myself into probably reading Dan Brown's next book. I'm going to need some time, <laughs> if so. I don't, I mean, because you're right, like, this is a thing people do. Maybe it shouldn't be within the realm of, like, this is a thing that people do. Uh, again, giving a cool half million dollars worth of horse fresh to your Dutch um, side uh, f- lady is not something <laughs> that most normal people do, I wouldn't say. But, but if like, you have a cool half million, why not? <laughs> here's another critique that's completely practical. Dan Brown <laughs> specializes in writing books about multi-century <laughs> international conspiracies. Be cleverer, Dan Brown. You, you, a horse is too much. You're going too far. <laughs> you're definitely going to get caught. Also, your personal trainer. <sighs> I don't know. I, I don't know what to say. I mean, again, I would hate to be talking about this, but also we read this and we like Dan Brown. I also feel a responsibility to tell listeners that we know yeah, this. Like, there's right. that thing we do. too, right? Like, yeah, you don't need yeah. to send us your sad DMs because we're already sad. <laughs> No, 2020 is a sad DM. That's the truest. And I think even if I read the next Dan Brown, like this will dampen any Dan Brown celebrations. Like we're probably not. We're not like holding hands and gleefully skipping into new Dan Brown day as we have in the past. We're not Instagramming, (laughs) you know, Da Vinci Code 2 with a beer on a Friday afternoon. That's not going to happen. I don't know. Again... It's weird. Like if this, if we got this news, you know, in 2009 or something like this, that, you know, marital things. And I'm sure that his spouse is motivated to make it look especially bad because there, as often happens in these divorce settlements, they're negotiating in public and in private and in the court. Um, so who knows what of it is exaggerated and which of it isn't true. At this point, I sort of assume, you know, if the substance, if not all the particulars are probably true, Tends to be not a surprise. If there's no basis of all, he's got a very good case to sue the pants off her for right. libel. So I can't imagine she's just out here saying right. horse like, stuff without she just any. Invented a three hundred and forty-five thousand dollar horse. It's specific enough, like it right. has to be true. It's like it's like what Ray Fine says of um, 
of uh, Willem Dafoe's character's mm-hmm. name in the English patient. It's it's too Im- it's too absurd yeah. uh, not to be true, right? Like his name is David Caravaggio. Yeah. It's and like that has to be true because it's too absurd not. And I think you're right that reading these stories about like run of the mill gross things humans do to other humans it, after Me Too has happened, it does feel different because it does give me mm-hmm. pause at least of like, well, what's the expected consequence or what's the expected yeah, action? Right. Like if. And where I am on it, not that everybody has to be in the same place, is like, and I think sounds like it's where you're at on it, is like, this is really an issue between these two people who were married, who were married to each other yes, and need to resolve right. this. And if there is money that he needs to pay back to her or yep. restitution of some kind, that needs to happen between the two of them. But like cheating on your spouse should not be a career ending situation, assuming that the person you cheated with is consensual like this is where i fall on this this. i don't think it's great i don't think it's awesome that it's like culturally normalized it's not cool that this is a thing that like more than 50 percent of people who are married and partnered do to their partners it might also speak to some of the problems with the institution of marriage but that's a different podcast that's a different podcast (laughs) i mean it's fair right like you know that that like if we had had this conversation in 2009 and be like, well, this is between two people, that kind of blasé um, attitude might also be unfair because, you know, the most of the time this happens in high profile cases, you know, men make more money and have more privilege mm-hmm. and so on and so forth. So in these divorce selling, it's often the woman who gets the short end of the whatever when someone's philandering and there's prenups and everything else like that. It just, it does make you wonder, it makes me wonder yeah. in light of what we think about differently now or at least i should say i do about yeah. m- my preconceived notions of like that's between those two people and it's like well that's a public figure one that we talk about how does that connect to how i want to either consume that person's content myself or talk about it in public like i guess that for sure has changed which is it yeah. matters to me to consider that piece. yes it matters to and me there's yeah yeah i don't want to dismiss it outright and we also like it, it's tough in a situation like this where we don't have any of the additional details about like what the divorce settlement was yeah so like right. like i'm a lot more upset about this if blythe brown got totally screwed in the divorce settlement and yes. like and like she got totally screwed and they had collaborated on things and it turns out that he's done this to her like that's an intersection mm-hmm. of things that happen between two people that should be resolved and like social and cultural as you're saying like power dynamics that it's like an intersection of marriage and yes. me too in this yeah, case right. and that does deserve to be looked at but we like we can't do it right here for them because we don't know the other parts mm-hmm. But I think this sort of thing more and more, the the needle has moved, the meridian has moved to think about, do I really want to be in the boat of, of this author, right? Like, you know, right. emotionally, intellectually, sort of just for, even for entertainment. Um, and that's a, the, the, the Overton window, right, has sort of shifted on how much I feel like it is my business in, mm-hmm. in, insofar as I determine what kind of agency I'm having over what I consume, what I promote, what I talk about, where my dollars go, Um and that that that's where it matters. Now, is it just that I'm ignorant of the rest of the people on my bookshelf? Maybe, um, but I don't have another choice there. I'm not going to go get PIs on uh, all the authors. Um, so th- there we are. As uncomfortable and gross as that is, I thought we had to talk about. It. Yeah. I thought people would probably expect us, um, who, yeah. who you know know we're, be, we're we're fans of the work of Dan Brown. I'm thinking I'm no longer going to say I'm a fan of the human Dan Brown, but I'm yeah. fans of the work of Dan Brown. That as much, you I know, think, for today I'm feeling like. 
that hangs a lantern on it too that like we have talked about because we've heard from folks in the industry who have worked with him that he, like he's a lovely human and booksellers yep. have enjoyed doing events with him and he's nice to fans and like it's very disappointing from that perspective um, um i'm anyway, having some ba- guess, like go ahead what? i was, I was I'm having having... like <laughs> you go you talk about the horses. You hang up first. I don't want to talk about the horses. Yeah. Uh, I'm having like Bader Meinhof with the phrase yeah. Overton window because I just learned what it was like two weeks mm. ago watching an episode <laughs> of Billions. And now everyone in my life is talking about the Overton window. And I was like, oh, I know what that is. Mm-hmm. Anyway, let's so, not talk about Dan Brown's sad horses. Anymore. Yeah. So just in terms of just in terms of like actions or inactions that I feel myself not taking, I don't feel myself taking off. Da Vinci Code off my bookshelf right now. I've taken some books by other authors we've talked about off. I don't yeah, want to get into mm-hmm. who right now. I'm not there. Um, we're not going to be doing a book nerd movie club of angels and demons anytime soon. I right. can tell you that much. Um, and if a book came out tomorrow, I'm feeling like today I would I would not be reading it immediately. Yeah, I need some time. Bad taste in the mouth, yeah. if nothing else. Yeah. And maybe that's that's its own. That's got to be a Kahneman thing. Like, why does it matter in six months if we have the same information? But that's it is what it is. Um, all right, where are we? Let's do our last sponsor so we don't have to chop up any of this other stuff and uh, get on with the the news. All right, I, I, I buttressed this around all over the place. Um, since we're talking about sales, print sales are up, unexpected high in Jan in June. Um, I also saw that. Uh, Deacon King Kong, which was named Oprah's next book mm-hmm. club pick, went from selling around 800 copies a week for the last month to 12,000 copies in the week it was announced, which is a nice, nice 10x, but a far cry, a shadow of an echo of a memory of the old days mm. of how many units would be sold, right? Um, yeah, it is. So that's interesting to see. It is interesting to see. And it's the kind of example that we yearn for often of like, what's a book that did not get a big release publicity push and then has demonstrably increased sales because of being yep. selected for a book club. And it's been a while since one of the big book clubs has picked something like that. So that's cool to see too. Related, they're showing trailers for The Good Lord Bird on HBO Oh, now. I haven't seen that. Oh, I should, yeah. I should watch the trailer. I'm curious. I really want to watch that. Speaking of, uh, all the James McBride, he was he's been making the rounds as part of Deacon King Kong. Seen some interesting stuff with him, and I realized like he's not a name that people know. Even so, insofar as people don't, people outside of our world don't even know Colson Whitehead's name as well right. as they should. Um, who's also a black male author who's won award-winning literary fiction. Just some sense of a reality check for people. James McBride, a well-reviewed book I really like, Deacon King Kong, came out March third. Book sales are up. He has, is, was it the National Book Award or the Pulitzer for Good Lord Board? I can't think of it. One of the two. Uh, it, was the, of the two it was the NBA, I think. NBA. National Book Award winner sells 800 copies a week, four weeks after release. Isn't that sobering, Rebecca? I mean, mm-hmm. people wonder. I mean, that 800 copies in a week, four weeks after it came out. And that's someone that has some hardware to trot out. Has a sticker on Barnes & Noble that no one's going into, I guess. I don't know how much of this kind of stuff matters. Yeah. But just to give some people a sense of what we talk about, like, people use the frame mid-list author, and I think they forget how high the mid-list reaches, I guess is what I'm trying to say. James McBride won a National Book War and is a mid-list author. That's just <laughs> true, right? It's, it is true and bonkers. And it's on Showtime, not HBO, but still. Oh, okay, fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, I was wrong. Um, anyway, there's nothing else to say. I was just, it struck me again. 
it's, Again, it's, it's well, you have to be reminded like on, a, on a related, I think on a kind of related note, I don't remember even which publication it was earlier this week because mm. I've tried to wipe it from my mind, but we were talking on the staff slack about a piece somebody wrote calling Joyce Carol Oates the preeminent American fiction writer. Oh, yeah, I read that, then like, I had a stroke and immediately forgot it because that's unacceptable. Right. Please introduce yourselves to Colson Whitehead and basically anyone who's not Joyce Carol Oates. And if you are listening to this and you're like, why is Rebecca mad at Joyce Carol Oates? I would invite you to Google because it will answer your questions very efficiently. Also, if you listen to our segment of Book Nerd Movie Hour where we did the Joyce Carol Oates Oh No Award, you'll know that. Right. <laughs> uh, I had totally forgotten that we have <laughs> We have that every ne- that we need to deploy every now and then. You know what? When I read that and we were having, you know, Amanda, I think, said anyone who says it's not uh, right. Colson Whitehead is out to lunch. I was like, yes, very good. Yes, agree. Hard agree. 100 emoji. Um, mm-hmm. It got me thinking about. Some who had the crown like over the last hundred years of the you know the the preeminent fiction writer because if it's mm. Whitehead now we were sort of saying not sort of we were saying before that Tony had it until she died right but a lot when of did, people thought Franzen had it for a while that that's demonstrably false um, but I agree. Tony had I'm just saying you no know, but Tony had it really as early as nineteen or as late as nineteen ninety one when she wins the Nobel Prize but maybe as early as like. Early, a Song of Solomon, 1977, mm-hmm. something like that. Yeah. So who did she take it from? Is it, I think, it really, I was looking, it's like, is it James Baldwin? You know, Faulkner's alive oh. still mm-hmm. when Song of Solomon comes out. It's kind of interesting. You know, I'm, like as the, you know, I'm a Ralph Ellison stand, like Invisible Man Alone yeah. to me might give it to Ralph Ellison. Mm-hmm. And if it's, if you go back to Faulkner, then who's before that? Are you, you know, Faulkner is writing, you know, 1924 and after is Faulkner. So then you're yeah. looking at, Someone from the you know from the early anyway I, it's like there's not that many right it's like kings there are not that many kings there aren't too many kings and queens if you think of the primitive who has the crown any moment we're looking at four people in the last hundred years really is what we're looking at yeah. anyway, as, as a thought exercise uh, I was um, playing with myself while I was folding laundry the other day and I was like that's if I were a different person an interesting post mm. on the site but <laughs> since I am who I am it's seven minutes of unprompted and unprepared for <laughs> yelling at Rebecca about. Think so about the go. stuff we don't put on the show, friends. Yeah, what doesn't make the cut? <laughs> Who's a low-list author? The fourth most famous, most important <laughs> crime writer of the podcast. Oh, man. That's going to live forever. That forever. Fourth best. <laughs> Forgot everyone's name. Forgot who they're talking about, who the biographer was. Forgot all that, but the fourth best crime writer. Fourth most important? I think it was fourth most important, yeah. yeah. Sixth um, best, fourth most important. Yeah, <laughs> Uh, by way of quick follow-up, because we spent so much mm. time on it last week, uh, the NBCC, the National Book Critics Circle, has a um, VP of membership. His name is Richard Santos, and he provided the membership with an update this week on what's happening. Uh, he's, you know, lets them know that they're aware that there are multiple groups of members who are gathering support to remove a current board member. They're referring there to Carlin Romano, even though Santos never names him directly. And, um, basically the NBCC is trying to convene enough, like a high enough percentage of its membership to join a call so that they can conduct a special vote on on whether or not to remove this board member. Um, the special meeting follows the NBCC bylaws, which state the removal is only only possible if two-thirds of those attending the meeting vote for removal. Um, 
rewrite your bylaws when this is over. Please. I mean, once you get into the Robert's <laughs> Rules of Order stuff, like you're beyond the pale of right action, right? It's just, it's all Kafka-esque bureaucracy. And- well, and not for nothing. Like he has threatened to uh, sue them and to enjoy doing it. So I understand the NBCC wanting to at least be able to show that they did the things in the right order. I hope they're able to convene enough. Don't you feel like if someone says something like, I'm going to enjoy suing you in public, (laughs) they should just be thrown in jail immediately? Like, even if you have the best case in the world, I feel like you shouldn't enjoy suing anyone. Now, I've never really been a part of a lawsuit, so maybe there are cases when it... But like, if if I'm in court, if I'm a judge, and I see something like, this dude enjoys this, enjoy suing other people. (laughs) You got to go. Yeah, I I mean, I fundamentally don't understand Romano's insistence on staying on the board of an organization that clearly does not want him but yeah. people get a therapist get a therapist get a therapist <laughs> right, <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah exactly Jeez. Uh, it's it's wolf uh but good luck yeah. nbcc may your efforts ultimately succeed to boot this dude and yeah. make it would be changes. awesome if they voted him off and then immediately dissolved the institution like they they, they <laughs> stuck around just long enough <laughs> It's like the first order of business, remove Carlin Romano. The second order of business, vote to dissolve ourselves. We done. (laughs) NBCC out. You know what? That would be... That like that would give me more confidence in them than like any other decision. That they didn't exist? That's a bad beat for them. (laughs) But you gotta know when to... Know when to fold them. It's time to take your ball and go home, NBCC. (sighs) That's true. All right, better news. Um, Britt Bennett's The Vanishing Half was the object, the subject of a seven-figure bidding war to be adapted. Uh, 17 bidders pursued Britt Bennett bestseller. Um, And how glad are we that everyone in content is looking around, especially right now. Get them checks. This is an interesting book. Should make for a fascinating series. Uh, HBO won. I think HBO is probably the right home for this. I agree. Mm -hmm. It's hard to see this, though. I was watching Hulu, and there was something on there, and they dropped the F-bomb, which I I think of it just as like basic cable plus, but I wasn't prepared for that. I got to watch out for that kind of stuff. So those lines (laughs) are blurring a little bit. Um, Yeah, I don't know. It looks like it's going to be a limited series. You're not going to turn it into... You know, Orange is the New Black, right? Which is basically mm-hmm. a book that should have been maybe a two-series show. Oh, I don't show, But was a two-series worth of material that they stretched out and get into the expanded universe of Orange is the New Black. This one, it sounds like it's going to be eight or ten. Maybe sort of Big Little Lies-like, even though they did a yeah. second section, section of Big Little Lies. But like something like that. That feels right. This feels like the, this feels like if you're going to adapt this thing, which I'm on, on favor, we're both on the record of adapt, 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 um, if only to get the author's money, uh, then... That's this feels like the right shaped container for this. What do you think? I totally that? agree. I'm glad there were yeah. 17 bidders. That's like good taste all the way around uh, for wanting this. I'm glad that Britt Bennett is going to get paid for it. And I do think that yeah. HBO is the right home or the right kind of home to tell this story, to do it with nuance and with like uh, the adult themes that it explores mm-hmm. and sort of like to be able to hold uh, to hold the nuance and to hold the difficulty of the subject matter. And like, because there are multiple timelines and like really interesting side characters, I think there would be space to do a little bit more like expanded universe mm-hmm. of it, but it's, mm-hmm. there's a lot of story just in what we get on the page. And that will make for, I think a really 
interesting TV show. I think it's right to do this as a series and not a movie as well for that reason. Like you need more than two and a half hours to explore this. It's just great news, great news for book people. And if you have not listened, when you read The The Vanishing Mm -hmm. Half and you want to book club it with folks, but you're stuck in your house, um, Vanessa and Sharifa and I book clubbed The Vanishing Half a couple weeks ago. And that's back in the feed. So you can find that. So the 17 bitters number got me thinking, there's a meme that goes around every now and again that's like, can you name all 50 states, right? And you're like, oh, that's mm. easy. And you try to do it. And you're like, 47? You're like, I got to 47 <laughs> easy in like the last three. It's like, oh, Colorado or something like that. So who's bidding? 17, like, could I name 17 viable? Like, assuming there isn't just sort of, I, I don't know, like non-starter kinds of people mm. or companies or whatever. Let's say that's ballpark. And I can't name them all. But if that's... It feels like it's possible just this where we are at adaptation and content wars and streaming services like sure there are 17 bidders that are interested in a limited miniseries to pay you know low seven figures for a novel a lit, a lit fic novel like that's a wild world that did not exist five years ago even it really is and i don't think i can name 17 <laughs> I mean, just just do the top of your head, we got our Hulus, our HBOs. Mm-hmm. I mean, probably this is not a Disney Plus situation. No, but Netflix, Netflix of course, Amazon Prime, Amazon, maybe your AMC. Oh, AMC, I didn't think about that. Maybe BET even? Like they've done some adaptations. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's true. I, probably some that, movie I, studios. CBS All Access? Like there's just a, there's just mm. so many of them that could go. There's seven that we can name and you know, Quibi. I mean, who knows what's going on with Quibi these days? But like, there's all the, the extended universe of streaming services. That's I right. have no idea. But just how many bidders there are for something like this. Also a reminder that The Mothers, her debut novel is in development and Kerry Washington's attached to Star. No release date here. Deve- development could mean any number of things from, yeah, really never going to happen to as soon as we're no longer coveting, we're going to roll camera or something like that. But um, yeah, so that's two in the saddle, in the saddlebag mm-hmm. for, for Britt Bennett, which is great. Um, really which great. if you're so not that, paying attention, she's batting a thousand on book that's adaptation. A thousand. <laughs> that's a thousand. That's a thousand. <laughs> Uh, you mentioned Quibi, and I feel like I would be remiss if I didn't make sure that you and our listeners know about this fan film with celebrities, Princess Bride thing that's happening on Quibi. Is it good? I've I've been I haven't watched to it. Not look at it through <laughs> finger hands, you know, like at the movies. There was, like I don't know what to what do I've about watched that. is there was a Vanity Fair piece about it that had a bunch of uh, cutouts from it, and I've watched those like three minute excerpts, and they were fun. It was cute. I don't know that I would could do the whole like two hours in one go, but that's also not how Quibi is supposed to work. Mainly I can't talk myself into paying for Quibi, but it looks like fun. That's, that's a smart idea. Um, whatever, who's ever died that was. Cause that's, I'm not, I was like, what's going to get me to pay for Quibi? Something like that is borderline. Borderline, <laughs> borderline, borderline. Yeah. Creative. Let's do here the weekend go firework or whatever. We're gonna do. Uh, first, I'm just so glad we have a hero. Of the week this week. <laughs> Our hero this week is Prerna Gupta. She is the founder of Hooked, which is a mobile app that sends short stories as text messages to subscribers' phones. They launched in 2015, and since then, there have been 1.8 million downloads mm. of the app which means a lot of teens are reading with their phones in their hands. Um, She did her research before she launched the app, and she originally published the first thousand words of the top 50 most uh, popular young adult fiction pieces 
on a mobile optimized website, but then she figured out that the completion rate was only 35%. And then she had a story rewritten in text messages and the completion rate shot up to 85%. So since then, she has published 9,000 stories, most of which fall into horror and fantasy genres from a staff of 200 writers that are constantly like pitching ideas and creating content. And uh, there's a great piece here from treehugger.com, which also I'm just glad that treehugger.com is That's been around for a long world. time. That's been a long time. I always remember reading treehugger you know, in a, as a as a twenty year old, so oh man, years ago, yeah. I've been sleeping on Tree Hugger. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, yeah, and just cool to see this that they've been in business and successful, and that this is a use of technology that is getting teenagers to read, um, and that adapted it into a thing that would engage teenagers rather than being like, well, if you won't read the way that we want you to, then too bad. So if you're interested, you can download the Hooked mobile app from the mobile app store of your choice, but hats off to you, Prerna Gupta. Very smart. Very, very smart. May your efforts continue to succeed. That's our show this week. You can find links to the stories we talked about this week. Uh, click them on the, click on them at your own. <laughs> click them on the thing. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> You can shoot us an email, podcast at bookriot.com. I didn't give you the URL for the show notes, bookriot.com slash listen. Also, they're right there in the podcast player, wherever you're listening to this. If, you have a, if you're on Overcast or Castro or something else that's trying to make a cast-related pun. Cast for podcasting apps is the shelf for book-related mm-hmm. websites and properties. Um, try to do everything with there, which I understand. Um, we'll see you next week. Uh, we're, we don't have any bonus episodes coming up, but we should spend a minute at some point talking we're at the halfway point of the year of course like what have been the books of the year not our best books the favorite books like what are the books that so far have put a stamp um on 2020 i'm looking at it now because we're i had some notes about the relative sales of mm. how to be anti-racist um i think that's a contender right we're not saying these have to be yeah. new books, right yeah um, and so. just on a brief note related to that boston university today launched their center for that. anti-racist research that was founded by ibram x kendi the author of how to be anti-racist so you can also look that up if you're interested speaking of things that super smart people were going to do around race what i wonder what happened to wasn't claudia rankine going to use her macarthur money or something to do um that's the whiteness studies center. Do you remember oh, that story we talked about a million years ago? I do remember ago? that. We should Google that. I yeah, Google I was just, that. it just it jogged my memory about an author establishing or being part of establishing an ongoing institution made me think of that one yeah. and being super interested to see what that looked like. And I don't remember ever seeing a fo- follow-up story. So um, maybe I'll go Google around for that. If anyone mm-hmm. else has heard about what happened there or how it shook out, uh, podcast at bookride.com is a good place for that. Rebecca, thank you as always. We'll talk to you next week. Hang in there.